passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. What up, Knicks fans? It is a hard Knicks life. My name is Craig. Some people call me Axe. And on the other mic, one of the final podcasts from Barry's bathroom. Barry, right? Yeah, yeah, that's me. That's that me. was a weird Barry. opening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully I'm in a new house uh, soon. All right, I feel like absolute garbage, Barry. We'll get into that a little bit. Let's just get this shit started, all right? Yep, Old yep we got a great podcast ahead. This is season two. Episode 39. This is Randy from North Bergen. I'm Mark. I've been a Knicks fan for 24 years. Hey, Craig and Barry. This is Russ from Sydney, Australia. I'm from D.C. Hey, guys. Steve this here. Manny from Stanford. Calling all the way from Palm Springs, California. It is a hard. It's a hard. It is a hard. Knicks. Knicks life. Knicks life. It's a hard Knicks life. What is up, Barry motherfucking D? That was a little subdued. I know, I I'm know. I'm doing my best to pretend like everything's okay right now, but it's not okay. I know, I know. Why don't you let everybody know what's going on, what you're dealing with right now? You texted me earlier that you think you might have a stomach virus? Well, I've taken about 35 shits today, all right? <laughs> and they've all been of the geyser variety, if you know what I mean. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know how much detail I should go into. But it hit me at like 11 a.m. this morning. I just got really, co- I got really cold all of a sudden, like chills. Oh my god! And then from like 11 a.m. until three o'clock when I left work, I was just alternating bathrooms for about four hours, just so it didn't look too suspicious. Oh boy! At work, dude. Every like five minutes, I was speed walking to different bathrooms. Ugh. And I don't know why, but taking shits is really popular at my job. So, like, I kept going in bathrooms, and they were all taken. Is that because of, like, the diet that they're on, or is that because they're just trying to, like, escape from work? Because we got people in my job that escape to the bathroom for, like, long amounts of time, and I'm pretty sure that nothing's going on in there except they're on their phone, and they're just trying to get out of work. It's a nice break. I mean, I was not taking nice breaks today. I was had my head, like, between my legs. It was one of those. (laughs) Like, usually I'm on my phone, but no, not today. And I was it was in and out within like ten seconds every time, dude. It was. Is that the only end? I it was barely out? made it. What is that the only end that it was coming out? Yeah. Oh yeah. Thank you. Did, so you didn't have like a Mario Hazonia thing going on, vomiting and. He was showers. throwing up. I heard that he was. He was like throwing up. He was in, in the bathroom. Or something. Oh Jesus, dude! It was, sh- but it was coming out of only one end, but it was shooting in all different directions. It was weird. Oh man. <laughs> It's not good. And right now I have the chills. I've been laying on my couch since like five o'clock. Yeah. And normally, like if you were feeling like this, I'm sure we wouldn't be doing a podcast. But we would not be doing it. Yeah. But we got a special little interview. Yeah. We got a great interview to share with everyone that we pre recorded. 
we've got, I mean, it was the final Knicks game of the season. So like for those reasons, yeah, we wanted to get something out. Something. But yeah, we, we spoke to Mitchell Robinson's agent, Mayor Zokai. That's how you say it, right? Yeah, Mayor. Spoke to Zokai. him last night. Barry reached out to him. Props to you. And we had like a great 30 plus minute conversation. And dude, I just want everyone to hear it because I learned so much cool stuff about Mitch. Yeah. That I just don't want to deny anyone another day. Right. Um, so we're just going to do our best to get it, get it to you guys. But first, the season is over. Barry, finally, Ugh. 82 games. <laughs> 82 games. It was a long season. There were so many players in and out of this team. There really was. Players that we probably don't even remember. <laughs> yeah, when you think about it, yeah, there's a lot of guys on this team, a lot of different looks to the roster. Tons. I mean, if I, I should have done it because it would probably be a crazy number, the amount of different rotations that we saw total, like the different combos that we've seen, you know, this right. whole season. <laughs> I mean, it's got, it, it could be in triple digits. Listen, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk a lot about our impressions of the season, everything that went down. We, we need to fill time over the next few weeks while everyone is playing in meaningful games and we're doing nothing. Right. So we're going to talk about all that stuff leading up to the lottery. Tonight, it's really going to be about Mayar, hearing from him. But I did want to talk about Sunday. Barry got these great tickets to Sunday's game. And Barry, first of all, thank you. You're welcome. I'm glad that, that we was, got to see a great game. You know, what oh are the my God. first of all, what are the chances you see a win, right? First of all, those were the I've I've probably been to 200 plus Knicks games in my life at the Garden, right? Those were the best seats I ever sat in. Oh, awesome. Which was incredible. Yeah. I've never gotten that close. We weren't courtside or anything, but we were like right behind the folding chairs in the corner. Right, first row. First row behind the folding chairs, yeah. Yeah, we had this like glass barrier in front of us which gave us like all this leg room and we could lean on it and we had a great view from there no one blocking our view ever yeah i got to sit in those seats last year also those same seats for for a game um but yeah but but it was it was a lot it was a loss in overtime actually uh against the pelicans last year um that i went to but yeah i mean how about that that crowd you know and Ugh. i mean just the moments towards the end of that game uh i mean i, I I I love the Knicks, dude. I love the fans. I I hate I hate the argument like when you bring up how like the Knicks sell out every game and people either say, "Well, they're tourists," or they say, "Oh, but they're all corporate seats." Oh, Jesus. Don't get me started. Come on. If they were all corporate seats and like these stuck-up fans, the place would not be shaking and going nuts for like like they were. So don't give me that bullshit. Listen, there are a lot of tourists, but there's a lot of tourists that like the Knicks That's because guess what? Too. It's the New York Knicks. Sorry. I tweeted out a fo some photos of the packed house and I was like 15 wins, you know, whatever, you know, six straight losing seasons, six straight season without making the playoffs, whatever. I don't remember what I wrote. And yeah, there was a lot of blowback from people saying like, oh, you guys are idiots. You're just lining James Dolan, James Dolan's pockets. It has nothing to do with James you know, Dolan. You know, if, if you keep going to the games, he's never going to improve. He's never going to get better. <laughs> he has no reason to make the team good. Are you fucking out of your minds? <laughs> yeah, you're going to, everyone's going to turn like our loyalty into a negative. I know. That we're stupid. And it's all, we're stupid, but it's also all Taurus and... Someone said that most of the most of the fans weren't even rooting for the Knicks. That place was fucking insane. And after we won, 
Dude, we were acting like we just won. The, I thought it would be fun to just act like we won the championship. So we had our arms up in the air. We were like, I was like, we did it. We did it. <laughs> well, dude, it was genuine. And that was what the whole place it was, was genuine like. genuine for me. You know, I felt that way. It was like this whole season was this buildup. This buildup this of, an, of like nothing. No reason to explode. And then we just jizzed all over Madison Square Garden with the other 19,000 fans there. Did right? You, did you, Isn't that sort of what we did? I think I might have just cut out for a second. Did you just say that we jizzed all over Madison yeah. Square Garden? Sen- yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> that might have to come out. Barry, that's 14 minutes in. Please remind me. <laughs> let it go. Let it, let it fly. Yeah, that's what I said. I don't think I can let that go. Sure you can. Well, you know, that was a great game, Barry. Like I said, we're going to touch on... The whole season over the next few weeks. But if guys, if you ever need to buy tickets and want to experience a game like that to anything, sporting events, concerts, whatever, use SeatGeek. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value. I might not get through this ad without having to go take a shit, Barry. (laughs) Here I go. I use SeatGeek all the time. If I ever need to buy tickets to anything, you, Barry... Always, always you see, especially if the, if the if the game's sold out or there's a concert I want to go to and it's sold out right away. Absolutely, get everything from. Seat no, you didn't. You're lying. Oh, did I get those tickets? Yeah, no, yeah. no, I did not. No, but usually you do. Of course, any other time, absolutely. Remember, our listeners get $20 off their first purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app. Use the promo code HARDNIXLIFE. All caps, no spaces for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life is an event, and we have the tickets. Let's get to, let's get right to this interview, dude. Okay. All right, guys, on the phone right now, we're very excited to have Mitchell Robinson's agent, Mayar Zokai. It's a hard Nick's life, Mayar. Yes, it is. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for coming on. A little bit of spin on what Jay-Z rapped about. I, I appreciate that. I thank you for having me. <laughs> Anytime. Before we get started talking about everyone's favorite Nick right now and your client, let's get to know you a little bit. You start off as a journalist, right? Yeah. So, you know, my, my father was a journalist. Uh, he still is. It was kind of innate, you know, some some kids' parents are athletes and they pick up the ball and just some of the stuff that they can do is natural. For me, writing was always natural. So and from a young age, uh, I worked for the Daily Bruin when I was at UCLA, but also uh, uh, at the same time, uh, I worked uh, at the LA Times and the LA Daily News as a sports writer. Kind of worked my way up from preps to college to uh, some pro stuff. So it's pr- pretty cool, pretty cool experience. And uh, I always wanted to be a sports agent, but I just saw that as a way for my foot uh, t- uh, in the door uh, in, in the sports space, in the sports realm, you know, so uh, I was able to take advantage of that. And I worked with a lot of, you know, your guys' contemporaries, like Ramona Shelburne and I worked at the Daily News. Uh, Arash Makazi, I got him his first job at the at LA Daily News uh, as an agent editor and writer over there. And uh, Howard Beck and I worked at the LA Daily News together. Uh, pretty, pretty decent. Mark Stein was there at the at Daily News. Uh, right before I was there, but we, we kind of crossed paths a little bit there. So, And how long did you do that for, and when did you decide to become a sports agent? I always wanted to be a sports agent. Uh, back then, you know, I, I didn't really know anything about internships. It wasn't, it wasn't as, as prevalent as it is now. Almost every, uh, you know, with the advent of Internet and social media, you know, there's so many positions for interns to get a, uh, access to when they want to get inside, you know, an agency or get an opportunity. But back then, it, w- it wasn't much, you know. There was no like right now. The Knicks have an awesome social media team, run by Becca, 
and then we have social media interns. Like this, that thing didn't exist 10 years ago. You know, that, that kind of dynamic and component didn't exist. So I said, hey, I can write. I love sports. Let me see if I can get, you know, a way in to the sports world and, and get in through that and got to know, you know, coaches and athletes. And, and so and the rest, as they say, is, is uh, history. So, so help, help me, help me out. Cause, um, you know, obviously there's more to an agent than just like getting brand deals and handling contract negotiations. That's about as much as I know what an agent's detail is, but if, we, uh, if you can enlighten me a little bit more, you know, that what it is that, that somebody like you does. I mean, Barry, it, it's, it's a grind, man. You know, I, I got four kids, uh, and I started young. I wanted to have a family young. I always loved kids, but from November until basically now, I probably see my kids maybe 10 days out of the month. You know, uh, it's a full service industry. It's a sales industry. It's a marketing industry. It's just so many components. You can't really pinpoint it and say, hey, what, what is it that you do? And if somebody can give you a succinct, brief answer, then they, they, they're, you know, they're either very well established, they have a whole team behind them and not doing much now, uh, or they're just lying to you. You know, um, I've had, I've been in situations where I had to set up a bail for one of my guys who was in jail you know, overnight uh, because he, uh, he got in the fight uh, or, you know, one of my, uh, one of my guys needed something, you know, for his girlfriend's birthday or surprising and he forgot until last minute, you know, so you know, it's, it's a full service, uh, it's a service industry, but a full service industry and uh, the recruiting and the branding and the getting endorsements and all that, that's just honestly the small part of what you're doing. And how did you come to represent Mitchell? I know he's had more than one agent this year. Right. So Mitchell, you know, went through a, an interesting period where he had three agents in a matter of, I believe, six months. Uh, and uh, I think at some point uh, he had his family kind of and him decided, hey, let's go through a, a period of decompression and, and detoxification, if you could say. So uh, last July, kind of around the uh, summer league, uh, right post-summer league, he, uh, set, you know, uh, parted ways with his last agent and it actually was without representation for about eight months uh he's lucky that he has a good family structure uh, good mentors and also a great organization that filled in some of these holes that were part of an agent's responsibilities and duties and uh you know i, I heard what, what was going on and that he hadn't you know, had an agent but he also wasn't in a rush to go anywhere i think his family was waiting it out until something actually blew them away you know uh, Mitchell's contract is set pretty much for the next three, uh, likely four, you know, two or possibly the next three seasons. So there, there isn't much work that has to be done on that end. Uh, and, you know, I knew what I was up against. I was, you know, not that my agency is small, but I was up against, you know, some of the bigger conglomerates uh, in the industry. So I knew uh, to do what I had to do to get Mitchell, I had to kind of set myself apart. Uh, from the others, and I think, uh, and I'm, I'm happy I was able to do that because I think about a week after I met with his family, I, I, I signed Mitch, and I think there were other people that were kind of pining to sign in for months. Uh, so, without being too specific and giving away too many trade secrets, uh, <laughs> I, I came to the table with pre-established and pre, pre, uh, you know, with stuff that I had already attained for him, you know, and and in good faith uh, because right. I knew he didn't have a shoe deal. I mean, he's, he's playing in New York, you know, Barry Craig, you, you guys know, this is, this is it. Even when the team is not winning, you guys see the crowd and 
you guys hear how how everyone attends the games. The games are sold out. You can't even get cheap tickets. Yeah, and and he's doing things that rookies don't do, and that you know basically players don't do. Absolutely, you know he's. I think he's a generational defensive player. I think what Steph Curry did for the game in making the big man obsolete, because essentially what he did was he opened up the game and the spacing, and a big man couldn't guard a guy so far out from the basket, right? So it kind of made – I think Steph Curry was the reason why the big man kind of became out of vogue. I think just the exact opposite uh, effect is what Mitch is doing. He's making it so the big man is not only seen uh, as no longer a defensive liability, but out on the perimeter when he's blocking three-point shots and backing up where a guy, a guard, can't drive past them because it will take too many steps, but also just enough space and timing – to where he's close enough to block that three-point shot. Uh, we've never seen anything like that. You know, it's, it's unprecedented. He's a pioneer in that, in, that, in that realm. And I think what he's doing is, I guess, offsetting the effects of, you know, what, what has been happening in the past five or six years. And I think you're going to see more uh, agile and, uh, you know, experienced big men who know how to play like a guard but also know how to guard guard, you know, mm-hmm. and, and are able to do that and not just one-dimensional either just three-point shooters or back-to-the-basket guys. And, of course, there's a lot more to Mitchell's game uh, than uh, meets the eye at this time. I think, you know, hopefully he has the opportunity to showcase that in the next season or maybe even this summer. Right. So now now that you've, you know, been working with him for, for a little bit now, you know, what's your relationship like with him? How often do you meet with him? You know, uh, how, how well do you, know him on, do you know him on a personal level? So uh, initially, you know, it was maybe – I was lucky to get a text back from, uh, you know, Mitchell uh, after one one text. And now we pretty much talk every day, if not every other day, on the phone. Uh, he comes to me with you know, personal issues uh, sometimes, or not even issues, but sometimes stuff that he wants advice on. Uh, you know, I, I threw him a, a surprise birthday party. That's not part of my job description, you know, as, a, as an agent. Conventionally, if you will see it from the outside in. But to me, like I said, I consider every client of mine like a, uh, a member of my family. Not necessarily like one of my kids, but, you know, but somebody that I would want to do everything I can to make them feel comfortable. So, I mean, I, I literally coordinated from A to Z his, his surprise birthday party. You know, almost every single teammate was there. His coach was there. The front office was there. Uh, the coaching staff was there. His friends were there. And, uh, you know, it, it was something that was a labor of love. It wasn't anything where I, I saw it as work, you know, and it was 21st birthday. So our relationship, you know, we've only been – working together for two months, but I've seen uh, just rapid progression from just a, you know, kind of a casual business relationship to more of a, a really strong personal relationship. And I hope to uh, evolve our, our relationship even more. But uh, I think, uh, you know, he, he knows that I'm in his corner and uh, I'm going to do anything uh, that I can to make it easier for him throughout this process, which is so new for him. And Mitchell's obviously really new to New York and all of us. And we all love watching him every night, but there's still a lot of about him that we don't know. I'm curious, can you give the fans something personal about Mitchell that they probably don't know about him? Um, you know, Mitchell is such an even-keeled kid. Uh, some of the history that was the narrative around him throughout the draft process, you know, he didn't go to the combine last minute, and he didn't go to college and changed his mind and, and you know, was ambivalent about that. It's just so many misunderstandings about Mitch, you know. There's nothing wrong with a young player who comes into the NBA, has sudden notoriety, and is making a lot of money to want to have fun. You know, 
I think uh, I can say every single person, uh, you know, on the line right now, who didn't wait until they were 21 and say they have their first drink, you know, or go to their first bar, you know. Um, but Mitchell is just, he's so different. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. Uh, of course, he likes to have fun and, and you know, play, you know, hang out with his friends and whatnot, but he's a homebody first, likes to spend time at home, eat at home, uh, play video games at home, listen to music at home. Because, honestly, he loves basketball. There's a lot of players that come into the NBA, and, and I see it you know, all across the board. They just come in and play basketball because that's what they were good at and that's what they were told to do. And they have a liking for basketball, but they don't have necessarily a passion for basketball. Passion, basketball is a means to an end for them, which is to make a lot of money, retire, and then maybe do what they really like. I, don't, I think Mitchell will be playing pickup basketball until he's 70 years old. You know, that's just the kind of dude he is. You know, he's a family man. He loves kids. Like, we were talking about doing summer camps. Mitch wants to do five summer camps in five different cities this summer. Wow. You know, we've already got the T-shirts ordered through, you know, his, his uh, indoor C, which is Nike. Uh, he he wanted to he wanted to do separate colors for the kids and the coaches so the kids coaches would stand out a little bit. He specifically told me, yes, yesterday, I want to make sure my T-shirt is the same color as the kids. I don't want to have the same color T-shirt as the coaches. I want to be one of those kids. I mean, that, that speaks volumes and this resonates so much with me because I kind of got my break in the industry by organizing camps for some clients that I, that I work with, you know. I didn't have the background where I knew what to do yet, so that was kind of my end. So, I mean, if, if I hope I was able to answer your question, but yeah, it, there's so many layers to Mitch as a person and as a player. Yeah, I think what you were what you were describing about like with him and how he feels about the kids. I mean, it, it shows. Mike Breen even made a point on the broadcast against the uh, the Bulls um, on uh, Tuesday night about uh, just a little short interaction that Mitchell had with the, the little kid that was calling his name while he was waiting to sub in for somebody else. Like, so it's it's obviously apparent to everybody who's around him that that he's just got that you know that that type of personality. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's it's special, you know. Not a lot of guys like that. It doesn't make those guys worse than Mitch or, or Mitch better than them. I just think it's it's a different layer that you don't see, uh, you know, prevalent among a lot of other players, you know. And uh, the kid, you know, when I told him we're going to do an NBA store signing and I told him the time, he wanted to make sure it was a time where kids were out of school that could come. He wasn't worried about anything else. And he didn't understand that it was a paid gig. He just wanted to go out there, meet kids and sign. I mean, I'm, I'm not making that up. You know, it sounds like, Oh, it's a cool story that you could spin it like that. But, you know, it, it, the earnest truth is that's what it was. He wanted to go hang out with kids in a controlled environment and made sure that it was a time, which we did. We just adjusted the time to kind of like 4.30 when they were trying to do it maybe around 1 or 2 o'clock. So there's sure a, a possibility that the kid that maybe lives an hour away or 45 minutes away or gets out of school later can come and meet him, you know, which is a, that's super cool. There's not a lot of guys like that. Yeah, you know, Mitch, he seems like a, like you said, like a big innocent kid off the court. But on the court, honestly, he looks like he hates every opposing player. No fraternizing, (laughs) (laughs) no smiles. You know what I mean? He never helps anyone up. He knocks everyone to the floor. I love it. It's almost like this 90s Knicks mentality that he has. Oh, man, that's spot on. Right. Um, Is he different than most players these days in that way? You know, uh, at first I was like, you know, what, you know, this guy just an, excuse, is an asshole. Like, he doesn't care. But it's not that. You know, I, I point out stuff to him. I was like, hey, did you realize, like, that guy fell and you could have been there? And he's like, 
No, I didn't, I'm just focused on the next play, man. That's all it is, you know. He zones stuff out. Uh, maybe, you know, he could learn some of the nuances of, of you know, not sportsmanship, but just kind of how the way things are in the NBA. But I don't think he means any malice behind any of this stuff or any intent, you know. <laughs> I think yeah. he's just really, really focused on the task at hand, you know. And um, But, you know, it reflects differently maybe to somebody watching it. And it's not such a bad thing, you know, like you said. Those are very successful Knicks teams at that time when I was growing up watching basketball as a kid. You know, the, you know, the bad boys of Detroit or, or you know, the, the, the Knicks of Charles Oakley kind of had their own uh, type of, you know, bad boy syndrome. So it, it's, it's super cool to see a guy so kind off the court and so sensitive, not sensitive, but aware of everything when it comes to everybody else off the court and on the court. He just... It was mean. <laughs> yeah, you want you want that killer mentality, especially on your on your team. Yeah, do you do you have any idea how like the rest of the NBA looks at Mitch? You know, there was a uh, incident in Toronto recently uh, where he obviously fell on Kyle Lowry, right? And uh, he got, I mean, he got. I went over there. I was defending him to some of the. Those of the sports media in Toronto were like, that was just malicious. And I was like, malicious? Like he just <laughs> fell on him? You know? Like what do you guys talk? Your sports media. And then they came back and like, what do you know? I was like, I wasn't one of you guys, man. Come on, like, don't be a homer, you know? But, uh, you know, and, and the replay showed, you know, that Kyle Lowry was actually trying to grab, you know, grab him to brace his fall, you know? Um, but, right. you know, and then Kyle Lowry came out with the comments, right, uh, that said, I don't know why he's exactly like that. And another player said, hey, you need to not be so reckless. Uh, <laughs> I think what it is, to be honest with you, people are, are realizing that he's an intimidating factor. Receding games. Mitchell might get two or three blocks a game, but he's also altering two or three shots a game. You know, a lot of guys usually 99 out of 100 times will come in and go up strong, point guards and shooting guards. And when Mitchell's there, almost invariably every single time, they're dishing that ball out, either to a turnover or a guy far away from the basket. And I, and I, and I noticed that, you know, and, and I'm like, man, this guy's affecting the game. Who was the last player that was, that was like that? You know, in the post. Yeah, with his with his athletic ability, I, I can't even think of anybody that comes close. Look, look, the other night I saw Matt Caruso on the Lakers trying to dunk on Rudy Gobert. And he actually dunked on him, but the ball spun out. You know? Nobody nobody like Matt Caruso is gonna try that on Mitchell Robinson. So I, I think that, that that says a lot about, you know, the effects that he has implicitly on, on the game and, and maybe how contemporaries, you know, in the NBA feel about him. Yeah, I mean, it seems too like he's he's picking things up like insanely quick. I mean, you look at him like these last few months. He seems like he just knows exactly where he needs to be on the defensive end. Um, you know, whether it's switching to other players or just getting in the spots he needs to be in, and he carries this way about him. Like he seems just a lot more comfortable out there. Do you think like he's just starting to realize how good he is and how how good he can be? Do you, do you get that sense? I think it's it's that, and also a sense of he's just getting more comfortable. He knows that he's not going to be yanked right away. You know, uh, Coach Fizzo and the coaching staff are doing such an awesome job. They're basically just let him, letting him through, play through the growing pain, you know, that, he, that he's experiencing. And uh, I think he's also, some, some things are clicking for him as well, like, like you uh, conveyed. I think he's realizing, oh, I can do this, I can do that. Now it's the right thing to do and the wrong thing to do. And what it is, Mitch just picks up things real quick. I think... It's always been a trait of his uh, since high school, from my understanding, from talking to his coach and his family. 
Um, and, you know, being thrown out in the fire, this is an invaluable year of experience for him. There's a lot of guys drafted before Mitch, like, like a Mo Bamba, let's say, or even a Mar- Marvin Bagley coming off the bench, that didn't get to be placed in a situation where the team was nurturing them through mistakes and, and through, uh, you know, positive uh, advances, you know, in, in their game. But he's in a very unique situation. It's a very patient team. And they brought him along, I think, just with the exact right timeline, you know, went from playing as a starter and then he got injured, coming off the bench, and then eventually starting the last few games. Yeah, yeah, it's for sure it's worked in his favor. Absolutely. Now, you know, Mitchell, obviously this year, has been fo- focusing, or at least it seems, focusing mostly on defense, on blocks, on rebounding, you know, throwing it down hard, you know, whenever he can. Yet, you know, we keep seeing these videos of Mitchell shooting the threes in the gym. You know, so th- does he have more to his game that we haven't seen yet or what? Man, Mitchell Robinson had to beg his coach in high school to let him shoot threes in the game. <laughs> and coach said, you can, make, you can shoot in the first half as many threes until you miss. Mitch went, <laughs> six, Mitch went six of seven on threes <laughs> in one half of a high school game. I think that story is pretty much the epitome of how Mitch – is able to do so many things that maybe people don't know, you know? I mean, the, the guy has a stroke, you, you know? Free throw shooting in the beginning of the season was a little off just because, think about it, he wasn't getting the ball for any post opportunities. The free throw shot was the first shot of the game for him, almost every single game. There's not too many players that can come in there and play for like eight minutes, not ever get the ball, and then the first actual shot of the game for them is a free throw and they shoot well, you know? So it wasn't, it wasn't a problem of mechanics or not being a good free throw shooter. It was just the fact that he wasn't comfortable yet out there because he's cold, you know? But the kick and shoot three, look, I, I get it. Right now, there is no other really shot blocker besides maybe a Luke Cornett or DeAndre Jordan on that team. But there's 12 other guys that want to shoot the ball, you know, because that's what they're good at or that's their forte. But you don't need a 13th guy that can do that when he's one of only three guys that can do a certain thing that can impact the game. So I get it. You know, played, playing defensively, playing the post, rebounding is what they want him to do. But I think, you know, Mitch is a, is a player very similar to, you know, Anthony Davis. Do you guys remember Anthony Davis in his first year? What kind of player was he, Barry and Craig? What kind of player was he? you guys remember? No. <laughs> tell, tell us. But Anthony Davis, I don't think, took one jump shot on purpose, intentionally, in his first year of playing in the NBA. And look, look back at that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is. We see Anthony Davis as like, you know, the the you know the the best type of big man that we have, hybrid big man that we have. He can block shots. He can play defense. He can rebound. He can shoot. Right. Anthony Davis yeah. didn't take one intentional jumper in his first season because what did the Pelicans say? Hey, let's have him feel comfortable out there. Let's have him contribute and get gain confidence doing what we know he can that maybe other people can't do, and then year two they unleashed them and then year three and then a super max player you know after year three so that's a lot of people don't don't remember that about anthony davis who is you know i think the archetype of player that mitch can become you know i think he i mean he has that ability man the kid can dribble i mean we i went with him and we played basketball the night of his birthday you know midnight i was there you know i'm actually a pretty good basketball player and i'm just like bro this guy's like seven feet tall burning me off the dribble you know, shooting yeah. jumpers like, like crazy, finger rolling, 
you know, three-point <laughs> pull-ups, you know, four or five feet behind behind the, the line. The, the kid is a, is a very special talent. He's a basketball player. He's not a big man that's playing basketball. He's a complete, complete basketball player. And, I, you know, he trusts and I trust the organization to bring him along as they seem fit. Why wouldn't they want to use the multifaceted components of his game if it's going to benefit them? Because it can only help them win games, right? Uh, yeah. they, they, I, th- I think they know what they have, and I think eventually, like you said, the world will know some of what you guys have seen yourselves, you know, kind of through, you know, these videos that I put out. And, and I'm doing that stuff on purpose, you know. I, I want to make sure my guys are getting marketed. And I, want, I want to make sure people know what they're able to do. But also it's a little bit of fun, you know. When yeah. you see these videos and you get 100,000 views on a video, that's kind of that's like cool, you know, so. Oh, people are hungry to find out anything about Mitch, so right. keep <laughs> them coming. crazy. Right, right. Well, thank you. A few minutes ago, you mentioned DeAndre. Since he joined the team, it seems like Mitchell's been on a tear, and Mitch and DJ seem really close. Has DeAndre helped Mitchell with his game since they became teammates? You know, I, I definitely think having a presence like DeAndre Jordan in the locker room is going to be good for not just a Mitchell Robinson, but for everybody in that locker room, right? A guy that's played multiple years, you know, in the playoffs, that's played with stars, just Chris Paul and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think he's had uh, a great positive effect on Mitchell. But I think also a little bit uh, of it, most of, most of it has just been Mitch, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, Mitch, Mitch loves the DeAndre Jordan, don't get me wrong. But, like, what kind of offense is DeAndre Jordan showing Mitchell Robinson? I think Mitchell Robinson is a much better offensive basketball player than DeAndre Jordan. But has he helped loosen Mitch up like you have a bit? Um, I think, yeah. I think having a, a presence, you know, in, in, the, in the locker room, that's a big, that's kind of your cohort. But, you know, the, the dynamics are different, right, when Ennis Cantor was here. Because Ennis Cantor was... A pain in the ass? No, not, no, 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 not at all. And I know... <laughs> I know, you didn't I, say I that. Ed, Craig said that. No, no. You didn't say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is actually a good guy. I know him. I, I know his manager, Hank Fetick. Uh, uh, and I got to, you know, hang out with him a few times. No, but Ennis, you know, was in a different spot in his career than DeAndre Jordan is. You know, Ennis still has a lot of basketball to play. You know, and right. he hadn't been in this situation where he had experienced something like that. You know, and maybe didn't have the maturity level to understand how to how to react, but have you guys heard Ennis talk about his experience now since he's been gone? I mean, he's grown so much as a player. Like, they asked him, hey, what would you say to a free agent that wants to go to New York? He's like, there is probably no other organization that I think would be best suited for someone like KD or that, their first class and this and that. So he's kind of not backtracking, but also conveying the fact that, hey, it wasn't an all-around situation where it was bad. It was just maybe for him this was a situation. Right. We all know that Ennis is a great dude. Um, yeah, yeah. It just but got yeah, a little messy late. Mega messy, right, right. Final again, you know, and they're playing the same position, so, you know, I, everyone's human, man. You know, if I got somebody that's, you know, that's taking my minutes, like, do I really want to be, you know, lovey-dovey and brotherly with them? You know what I mean? When, when I feel like this is an integral, pivotal year for my career, way, way different, right? Yeah, and he's playing great for Portland right now. He is, and... Uh, it's great to see him have landed in a good spot, and it's good to see the Knicks also moving on from him and things have worked out for them with with uh, DeAndre, you know, initially, and now Mitchell getting these minutes and uh, Luke Cornett getting some also minutes. But, yeah, I think 
DeAndre Jordan has been great. I don't want to say that it's been overblown, his effect on Mitch, but you have to give Mitch also a lot of credit for maturing and evolving as a player. Uh, you know, uh, and not maybe just defer to uh, what everyone's maybe maybe the, what the narrative is like. Oh, since the timing was, you know, I mean, look, the timing that DeAndre Jordan came into his, you know, onto the team was pretty much the same time that I came to you know, represent Mitch. You know, which is the same time that Mitch got, you know, all these major endorsements that probably gave him a lot of confidence. You know what I mean? So uh, is it the cause and effect and the correlation? I don't know what it is, but. It definitely having a guy like DeAndre Jordan on the team has been a big positive uh, for Mitch. But I think we we, uh, we should be careful to realize that also he is a very mature player himself and has been evolving as well. For sure. And, uh, you know, Mitch came from a pretty small town outside New Orleans. Must have been a big adjustment for him coming to New York in the beginning of the season. How do you think he's enjoying the city and all the attention he's been getting of late? You know, two, three weeks after I signed Mitchell was the All-Star break. And I said, Mitch, what are you doing? And he said, I'm going to back home to Chalmette. And I said, you know what? I can either go uh, back home and spend time with my family. I can go to All-Star Weekend. So I'm going to do something different. I'm going to go spend a week with Mitch in his hometown. I want to see where this guy's from. I want to see what makes him tick. I want to see the people around him. I want to see how different, right? Like you just said, how different is this from New York? You know? Right. And, uh, right. you know, I've, I've been to New Orleans several times, probably like 12 times last year uh, on the recruiting trail. Uh, and it's not that far out from, from New Orleans. Obviously, it's a more suburban area, really nice area, really awesome. The high school that he went to has, like, three basketball gyms. It's crazy, you yeah. know? Um, but, you know, way, like you said, way different than, than New York, even way different than White Plains, where most of the players, you know, you know live near the practice facility of, of the uh, Knicks. But um, I think, you know, he doesn't spend too much time in the city, so it really doesn't, I don't think, understands the gravity of living in a city like New York and going out and everyone recognizing what, what that entails. But, uh, you know, he's just a, such a homebody, you know, and he's got his grandmother here living with him. He's got a lot of close friends that visit him often. Um, I think he's made White Plains and New York more home than White Plains and try to make him a different person. And New York is trying to make, you know, has that had that effect on him. I think he's right. kind of, dictated how that's going to be and and uh made it made it feel as close to home as, as you can and having his grandmother with him has been great he's almost you know like a second mom to him does she live with him she lives with him yes that's pretty awesome yeah it's awesome you know she's in and out you know she's in and out but you know that that's that's the person that cooks for mitch that's the person that you know is always there going to games with mitch you know it made it as comfortable as as it could have been and he's very lucky to have someone like that in his corner right that essentially has given up their own life for him, you know, and, and he appreciates that. And he's grateful of that too. So Miss Marilyn, uh, shout out to you. Yeah. What did, what did Joakim Noah say about New York that he was too lit to play in New York? doesn't <laughs> sound like Mitch is going to be that way. No, no, no. He's a, uh, yeah, not yet. We'll see. <laughs> and, and Mayor, how excited is Mitchell to play with KD and Kyrie next season? <laughs> oh, who are KD and Kyrie? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Those guys are college players? No. Um, Smart answer. Lo- yeah, he he loves being here. You know, he knows that there's going to be some movement, you know, in the summer with pot- potentially some players joining him here. You know, whoever it may be. A lot of, you know, a lot of, there's, there's obviously spots open, and that's the goal, right? With not only, you know, getting a couple of free agents, but you can also say, What's it going to be like, you know, playing with Zion Williamson or 
Jarrett Culver, you know, or, or somebody else coming in, you know, uh, to the team. So he knows that there's going to be a, a different, different conditions, you know, next year with regard to teammates and whatnot. But, you know, like I said, the guy's just focused on him and the team and who's here right now. Something tells me he's going to adapt just fine to whoever's around yeah, him. Yeah, right, right. I, I, I agree. I agree. I think, I think he'll, he'll know how to get comfortable around whoever he's playing with next year. Hopefully most of the same guys. He loves this group, you know. So, so many good kids on this team, regardless of how people see it from the outside. I've been a little bit, you know, ingrained now in, in how everything is and how, how the people and the personalities are, man. Pretty pretty cool and close-knit special group of guys, even though some of them are even, you know, haven't been here for more than a month or two. Thanks for coming on, man. This was awesome. I think everyone, I definitely heard some stories I never heard before about Mitch. So Hey, I have no shortage of words. I love talking, as you can tell. Uh, but uh, I, I appreciate the uh, the opportunity. Uh, thanks for you guys for, uh, for supporting Mitch and having me uh, on your show. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, look, looking forward to another season uh, with Mitch. And hopefully all of us will, will be a little lucky, lucky enough to see his evolution, as uh, who I think will arguably be, and maybe a couple of years, uh, the great, the best center in the NBA. You know, I really think he has that ability. He's not a multifaceted player with uh, so many layers that have not even been peeled yet, you know. And uh, I'm hoping to give people a preview here the next few months and over the summer. And uh, hopefully everything will manifest and come to fruition here, maybe even in the summer, if not uh, next season. Mayor, he's pretty much the only reason I'm watching these games right now. That's true. <laughs> it's, it's exciting stuff. I'm watching it. I'm enjoying the, you know, the, the maturity and the evolution of all these players. But, man, he makes it exciting, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. And we, we should remind everybody, we should remind all our listeners, too, about April uh, April 25th at the NBA store um, in New York City, right? Yes, yes. Uh, April 25th, NBA store, 430. You know, Mr. Robinson making his uh, first appearance. The f- I believe it's the first rookie in season that's making an appearance at the NBA store. And to give you an idea of the caliber of players that have been there, uh, Joel Embiid made an in-season appearance. You know, uh uh, uh, Victor Oladipo, uh, Eric Gordon, uh, D'Angelo Russell. These are all in-season, you know, appearances. And for Mitchell to be, you know, the first Nick of this season and pretty much the first rookie of this season to do that, I think that speaks volumes to his popularity and, and how much people are, are, are drawn to him. So uh, good, good job, Mitchell, man. Yeah, yeah hard, you know, to pay, paying dividends for, for stuff on the court. All right, thank you, Mayor. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you guys are going to be there on uh, April 25th. I hope to get a chance to see you guys. I know you guys are in uh, Long Island, but... Barry, we should fu- we should go to that. Yeah, I got to see if can, I can Can we meet work, Mitch but, if uh... we go? Yeah, of course. You can meet Mitch, of course. We're going to go out for uh, apple juice <laughs> apple juice shots after. There you go. <laughs> that would be the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> no, definitely. Yeah. Definitely come up with it. Love to chop it up, you know, with you guys. I think it'd be cool. All right. Thanks so much, Mayor. All right, Mayor. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for having me. I uh, appreciate it, Barry and Craig, and I'm uh, looking forward to uh, checking out more stuff from you guys on uh, It's a Hard Nick's Life. That's the show, Barry. Special thank you to Mayor Zokai, Mitchell Robinson's agent. Yep, big thank you. Hope you guys learned a lot. I know I did. Uh, you can reach out to us. It's a hard Nick's life at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at HardNextLife, and you can follow Barry on Twitter at Barry Twerkin. You can call us. And, by the way, before we give out the digits, like we do every show, these next few weeks, we're going to depend on a lot of voicemails from you guys. So please, please listen to Barry's. 
number here and write it down. I hope, Give it to them. All right. I hope you guys are ready. <laughs> 51633 mesh one. That's right. 516-336-3741. What's the upcoming schedule, Barry? We, we got no games, but there's big things around the corner. Here are the dates you want to remember. Tuesday, May 14th. That's the draft lottery. That's when we find oh, out where we're picking. Dude, the draft lottery. Before you go into that, I forgot to mention I had the worst nightmare last night, and I thought it was real. Okay. I, I had a dream that we got the fifth pick, like we've all feared, and the Chicago Bulls got the number one pick. And right. when we were announced with the fifth pick, everyone was laughing at us. Dude, what a, Everybody. Look, we, we know it's, it's and basically I woke up a 50-50 thinking it was shot. Real. And I was so depressed. It's a 50-50 shot. Yeah, exactly. either the top five, either fifth pick or one through four. 50-50, pretty much. What, 48? Someone reached out to me and Macri on Twitter asking if we were going to do like a Knicks draft lottery party. And Macri was like, I don't think I can handle that. And I definitely cannot handle that because you know we're getting the fifth pick. And if we get the fifth pick, I'm burying my head somewhere. And then I need to spend the rest of the night convincing myself it's going to be okay. Yeah, I, I don't need to be around other people. That, that could be that a lottery. miserable fucking night. Yeah. yeah. First, and also, it takes like five minutes. So <laughs> <laughs> why are we going to turn what could be an awful night into this extended awful night? Right. Well, I'll just go to bed if it goes bad. Right. Don't worry about the odds. I mean, it, it's always a crapshoot anyway. I know the odds would have been better, you know, like 25% if this was last year of us getting the number one pick. Just be happy that we're guaranteed a top five pick. You know, even if the odds were like they were last year, we probably wouldn't get it anyway. Because yeah. that's how fucking hard this life is. Right. Right? Right. So at least now we know we're, we know going in, it's l unlikely we're getting it. If we get it, it's like winning the, it's like winning the fucking lottery, Barry. Right. And we have over a <laughs> month to wait to find out where we're going to pick. So Tuesday, May 14th, circle that date. That's the draft lottery. NBA draft itself, Thursday, June 20th. And the last date that everybody knows is July 1st, when hopefully all of our dreams will come true. And that's when all shit's going to go down. More shit's going to go down than came out of my ass today, Barry. Okay. Um. <laughs> I hope. Or better shit. Hopefully it's a little better than my day today. Isn't it funny on the last day of the Knicks season, I got this fucking awful stomach bug. Like, it's just fitting. It is fitting. It's like, yeah, it's like getting this season out of your system. It's absolutely fitting. You're going to wake up tomorrow. You're going to feel refreshed. You're going to feel like a weight's been lifted. Right? And I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All I of this so. is behind you. It might not be. <laughs> All right, guys. We will be back next week and over the next few weeks, so don't go anywhere. It is a hard Knicks life. I got through that whole thing without having to take a shit, Barry. Beautiful. Amazing. <laughs> the night's not over, though. Oh, I'm going right in there after we get off the phone here. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.